It's an old, time-honored, dramatic device. Once you notice it, you start to see it everywhere. You take a tragic story and play it against a background of gaiety and celebration, and it just enhances the drama. One example would be the great French film classic Children of Paradise, made in Paris during the German occupation. The scene is a raucous carnival, filling every inch of the screen in the background, and in the foreground, lovers trying to sort out their tortured relationship. She breaks it off and disappears into the crowd. He chases her, calling out her name. <laughs> Director Marcel Carnet did this all the time. It's a Francis Coppola specialty, too. Using a lavish wedding scene as a backdrop for a series of dramas. Godfather, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You can act like a man! And recreating celebratory ceremonies and rituals that highlight the mob's less cheerful activities. But even without the melodrama, even the most innocent escapist parties in the movies have a way of revealing a lot. They tell us so much about whatever era they're in, the movie version of what preoccupied us in our leisure time That's in some given Irving. moment. I'll be right back, Irving, David. What could be more New York early 60s than the party scene in Breakfast at Tiffany's? All bongos and long cigarette holders and hipsters and string ties. A movie idea of what bohemian nonconformist types might do at a party. Some party. The party scene in Clute, only about 10 years later, was in a New York about 10 shades darker. By that time, drugs and some amount of despair had taken hold, and the party is all blank stares and power plays, low lights, bad vibes. Not much celebrating going on there. In Annie Hall, it was a party too, a Christmas party, that told us about the Los Angeles of Woody Allen's nightmares his girlfriend seduced by cooler-than-thou producers. We just need about six weeks, and about six weeks we could cut the whole album. Just I don't know, that's this is strange to me. His best pal lost in a sea of business deals and social climbers. I'll take a meeting with you if you'll take a meeting with Freddie. I took a meeting with Freddie. Freddie took a meeting with Charlie. You take a meeting with him. It was at a coming-home party that friends and relatives marked Benjamin Braddock's graduation and great success. Hey, there's the award-winning scholar. We're all very proud of you, Ben. And discussed the young man's prospects. What are you going to do now? I was going to go upstairs for a minute. Oh, I meant with your future. Those parties, we just pass in the night. But there are also party scenes that are much more central to the drama, as they sometimes are in life. In the ice storm... It is a bizarre suburban wife-swapping party that sets off a series of destructive events among couples. Hey, check it out. Maria Conrad brought her son. In a small, wealthy community. Wish some of the gang had brought their daughters. And in All About Eve, the Broadway birthday party given by Margot Channing for her lover Bill couldn't be more fraught. The general atmosphere is very Macbethish. What has or is about to happen? What is he talking about? Macbeth. We know all about theatrical backstabbing and more by the time that party's over. A situation pregnant with possibilities, and all you can think of is everybody go to sleep. It's a good thought. It won't 
play. But for drama and emotional impact, New Year's Eve parties are maybe the most highly charged of all. We invest so much in them. They're a kind of page turn to the next chapter, no matter how painful or ambiguous the passing year has been. It's at a New Year's party that Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn find their connection, even though he is on his way to marrying somebody else. Linda, you're so sweet. The film is Holiday from 1938, and Grant, as Johnny, is announcing his engagement to the wrong sister, the one with the wrong values altogether. There's no such thrill in the world as making money. And we see the seeds of Johnny's upcoming epiphany. He doesn't want the money. And the epiphany of a guy called Harry is revealed at a New Year's Eve party when he comes back to his good friend Sally. I've been doing a lot of things. And the thing is, I love you. What? I love you. How do you expect me to respond to this? That's the good news. It is also at a New Year's party in pre-Castro Havana, a rich, rowdy crowd ringing in the year 1959, that the government falls and Michael Corleone delivers the worst possible news to his weaker brother, Fredo. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. Maybe the strangest New Year's Eve belongs to Joe Gillis, the out-of-work screenwriter who stumbles into another world, another era, in Sunset Boulevard. You look absolutely divine. And begins an unlikely liaison with Norma Desmond, the aging silent movie star who engineers a New Year's party like no other. Huge ballroom, her own orchestra, polished floors, but something's missing. It's quarter past ten. What time are they supposed to get here? Who? The other guests. There are no other guests. And it is here that he learns just how deep into her world he has sunk. What a wonderful next year it's going to be. He escapes briefly to a real New Year's Eve party where there's life, music, Genuine camaraderie. Well, what do you know, Joe Gillis? Hi, Artie. Well, you've been keeping that gorgeous face of yours. Only to sink in even deeper. God bless you and good night. I love you. Or maybe the strangest New Year's belongs to us. This New Year's, life will imitate the movies as never before. Some will be celebrating victory with abandon a perfect backdrop for others who will be pondering their losses in this dramatically divided year. But whatever year it's been, we've got to move the story forward to start at the beginning again, which cannot be done without a slow fade to the end. For Fishko Files, I'm Sarah Fishko. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, darling.